Welcome to another episode celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. Today, I'm your host, Jessica, here with your other host, the brilliant Christy Van Horn. That's right. Hi, Jess. Today is International Women's Day, and we are so glad that you're listening to the Bloodstream Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast. Christy and I are here because for the entire month of March, Bloodstream is honoring Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month with daily episodes, a daily dose of Bloodstream. Today, we're delighted to be with you. Thank you all for listening. And hey, subscribe to Bloodstream on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's easy. Just search Bloodstream. It pops right up. And tell a friend. We love friends. Welcome to Bloodstream. Now... (laughs) You know us from your favorite podcast about menstruation, Flow, where every month we have an episode that features doctors and patients about their experience with extreme periods. And we talk about the impact of managing menstruation, that pesky stigma of shame that we got to kick out of here. And we talk about our periods because we want to remind you how normal it is to discuss Mm -hmm. your flow. Having a period is a part of being a woman. And since today is International Women's Day, we wanted to bring on an amazing woman named Sarah Jestrob to talk to us more about what it's like to have a bleeding disorder and to seek a diagnosis against the backdrop of, quite frankly, the sexist disparities in healthcare that women face. Yes, let's talk about personal advocacy and finding a good provider. Let's unpack it all uh, with our wonderful guest, Sarah, after this quick break. We're here with Sarah Jestrab. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for inviting me. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a woman on International Women's Day in the bleeding disorders community? Simply put, I would say as a woman within the bleeding disorder community, uh, I have and continue to wrestle with uh, imposter syndrome. Uh, And here's why. Uh, To give listeners kind of a quick overview of my situation, I recently, or I received my initial diagnosis of VWD uh, at the age of 16 in rural Montana. And in the nearly 15 years since that initial diagnosis, I haven't really been able to find a treatment regimen that I respond to consistently. Uh, In addition to that, um, my annual labs with the local HTC often come back with like varying results and sometimes even um, look like I have other issues going on with things like platelets. So it's caused a lot of frustration. Um, And many, as many within the community know, uh, your diagnosis is frequently either like the first or second items you share in an introduction. So for someone like me, the fact that you have a hard time even naming what the disorder or type you might have uh, really makes it like, or makes me continually question if or even how to engage with the community. So that's one of the biggest things I struggle with. And you know, I'm not sure if it will go away ever, but um, I've heard others within the community to kind of try and put a term to it. And I think that's probably the best um, that we've come up with. Yeah, we talk a lot about the challenges of diagnosis because there's such a lack of research still, especially for women with bleeding disorders. And we talk about the challenges of being heard as a woman 
in general and in this disease state because of the lack of information. I'm curious, can you share a positive experience you've had as a woman in this community? Yeah. Um, so actually, this one took me a little bit of time to reflect upon. In rural areas, it is rare that you can really find a provider with knowledge of bleeding disorders, let alone like comparable health concerns. So over the years, I have really like to think that I have honed in my skills uh, to find a provider that really fits my needs. Um, and along with this, I think it's important to acknowledge the privilege that I've had to even like relocate to more urban areas of Montana or even Colorado where I get that choice in providers. Um, you know, Christy works a lot with that kind of stuff. Yes. So. <laughs> Plotting um, over here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so to set the scene, I had just moved back to Montana and I hardly knew a soul in my newest town. Um, my colleague's wife actually stopped by her office and she is the lovely extrovert to my in- deep introvert roots. Um, and over a couple of months, we just really developed a friendship. And through like our sharing of experiences with women's health issues, I just knew that she was someone who would recommend me a good local provider. So thankfully I was able to book an appointment for my annual visit uh, with this provider. And um, I was able to get in in a really quick timeframe. So the first appointment came and his nurse was one of the most like warmest and caring individuals I had ever met. Uh, I just felt Uh, an instant connection with her, honestly. And while doing like the typical intake questions, she really took time to look me in the eyes and get to know my story and really why I was there that day. Um, So instead of leaving me with a gown, she even instructed me to just stay as I was for the doctor. Uh, This alone was just new to me. Um, In my experience, a nurse typically left me alone with a gown and then the provider could come in and just probably conduct the annual exam and I could be on my way. But the provider came in with my chart and he set it down on the desk behind him, uh, sat directly across from me and proceeded to introduce himself. Um, It felt really confrontational at first. Uh, I just never experienced such a situation with a provider. Um, But then my public health brain really started clicking and uh, the thought in my brain was like, is he using motivational interviewing on me right now? And he was. <laughs> he spent 30 minutes just like simply listening to where I was in my career and even like what my educational aspirations were or um, learning about where I wanted to be professionally or personally within the next five to 10 years. And like through this dialogue, I was just like, you are the one, I am done. (laughs) Um, So I have been thankfully like seeing him consistently for the last like four to five years. So um, the sad piece with that, unfortunately, is I recently landed a new job, which I just, I love, but I'm also heartbroken since it means I cannot like continue care with him um, because I'll be three and a half hours away and a mountain pass between us. So, but I do just find solace and hope knowing that women in rural areas have access to people like him. So yeah, it was really 
the moral of the story for me, honestly, is to just go back to the basics and get to know the women around you. Because I mean, more often than not, even if they don't have a bleeding disorder diagnosis, the unfortunate reality that I've seen is that a lot of women don't have the best experience accessing women's health care. And when we can be a resource to one another, that's big. <laughs> yes. And you also just touch on so many important factors for women that that there are doctors out there who will listen, who will, you know, go that extra mile for you. I think sometimes and understandably, it's very easy to get caught in the the negative pieces of our healthcare system. Um it, again, understandably, because it's just so overwhelming. And but I think that your message is a great one that, you know, there's there's doctors out there that will listen to us as women that won't dismiss us, that will make us feel heard and trusted in our experiences. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. He's just been, I mean, I've found a couple of them, honestly, but it's been a lot of like weeding through providers. So it takes some time. <laughs> it does. It can take time. And that's not, you know, always, sometimes Sometimes we don't have time, right? And that can be a frustrating piece of, of trying to find a doctor, um, especially when we feel dismissed over and over again. Um, but I just, I love that. And I think the, you know, the last question would tie in that we have for you today that Jess and I have for you is, you know, what tip would you give other women who might be struggling to be heard? Honestly, as hard and easy, I guess, as this one is for me, um, I think the biggest thing is to keep advocating for yourself and others inside and outside of the exam room. So I just am a fierce advocate of finding that right provider that validates you, but I'm also intimately aware that this is not always reality, especially in rural areas where nearly 20% of the population actually lives. Um, so for me, education has really been a powerful component of that. Um, so through my lived experience, um, which I consider education to some extent, and formally studying public health, um, I've really been given that chance to explore the systemic issues really just plaguing our health systems and the inequities that are persisting. Um, so while we might, as you said, want to really just jump and rebuild our systems and all of that, I believe it's also equally important to gain that understanding of the system that we have so we can really learn from that and build a better system for the future. Um, so along with that, I think another piece with advocacy that I keep reminding myself and try and remind others around me is um, there's really a reason that we use the term practicing when referencing providers or even um, a reason that policymakers have contact information available to the public. Like one person cannot know all there is to know about medicine or the impacts of proposed or existing policies even. So I just encourage women to really understand that they are that expert in their life. And it's our responsibility to ourselves and the women who come next to really make sure our experiences are heard. So I know it's hard and exhausting, but it's worth it. <laughs> Sarah just dropped for president. What? Yes, 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 yes. To every single thing you wow. said. 
Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for being with us. And thank you, Bloodstream team, for your work on this series. And thank you all for listening. And thanks to Kata for being the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast. Check out bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. That's it for today's episode, but you can circle back to hear all our episodes celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month and find Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out the program notes for this episode in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com to find links and information related to the stories and segments featured on this episode. Listen, periods are normal, but menstruation can be extreme. The truth is that research and resources to help manage extreme menstruation are still limited. So we got to keep the conversation going, which is exactly why we started a podcast about it. Tune in for some real, real talk about vulvas, vaginas, and so much more on monthly episodes of Flow. Find Flow anywhere you stream podcasts or on our home network at bloodstreammedia.com. 